Leaf Memories blog site. Uh, normally, Michael Stevens from Maple Leaf Hot Stove is is uh, with us, but uh, Michael is otherwise committed because we're doing this at, a, at for us a bit of an odd time in the middle of the afternoon uh, in, um, in Toronto time, if I can call it that. But uh, but we'll carry on because we have a great guest, and and the Leafs have a game tonight against the Lightning. And it's it uh, it's funny how schedule making goes. Uh, before I introduce Eric, I'll just make a quick mention. Uh, the Leafs just come off a grinding, and every team goes through this. It's not like the Leafs are alone, but the Leafs go through a, a grinding road trip, finish it off with a loss in Detroit, of course, last night on on Tuesday night. And lo and behold, you'll, you realize in the schedule they don't they don't get even a, a day off to come back home and and rest up, although most teams struggle. We often hear, how many times we hear this, team goes on a long road trip, whether they do well or not, they come back and they usually struggle in the first game back. Uh, who knows why, but it seems to happen an awful lot. But in any event, the Leafs are home tonight. I'm sure they're happy to be home. I don't even know. They're probably listening that know the status of who's starting in goal better than I do. Eric, when I introduce you in a second, maybe you know better than I do. Uh, you're in town covering this. Eric Erlinson, longtime beat writer with the Tampa Bay Tribune, who, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to say you've been with the Trib since 97, but covering the, the hockey beat, specifically the Lightning, since the early 2000s. That, that's correct, Eric? That's correct, yeah. 2001, 2002 was my first full season uh, covering the beat. Well, and, and let me ask, and because I want to talk, obviously, about um, about tonight's game, which is which is when you look at the standings, you realize not only that these teams are, are similar in a lot of ways, you know, uh, in terms of uh, the orientation, importance of goaltending, um, some of the, your tops, although Stamkos has been out forever, we'll come to that in a second. Come to that in a second, but he's he's obviously a difference maker. But before we talk about the current, and there's lots to talk about with the two teams so close in the standings. I just before we went on today, we were talking briefly about Eric, the fact that you know, because you were talking about being with the the Trib and covering the the Lightning since the early 2000s, the Tortorella era. That included, of course, the Stanley Cup run. And what? Correct me if I'm wrong. 2004, right? 2004, correct. Okay. I mean, and we all know we're even those of us who aren't athletes, or even if we saw ourselves as kind of semi-athletes at one point in our life, we know from a distance watching these guys how difficult it is I would argue it's the toughest thing in all the sports except maybe the decathlon I don't know at the Olympics uh, to get through four rounds grueling grinding rounds of playoff hockey when you're constantly facing elimination against the best you know in the world in the best league in the world and and the lightning did it and in you know in 2004 the Leafs haven't done it I'm not being sarcastic I mean in the Leaf Leaf world we often you know we joke about our our ineptitude uh, but the Leafs have not always been that way but you guys didn't I say you as though you were part of it but you were as as a reporter as a beat guy following the team tell us a bit about what it was like from your perspective not from the players you going through that grind of two months in the playoffs you know in the climate you were in following Tortorella fascinating guy and the Lightning. Yeah, you know, it's funny uh, because I just had the 10-year anniversary. They brought back a lot of the alumni from that team. Uh, and they celebrated it the other night with Vancouver in town and, you know, obviously coached by John Tortorella now. Um, and, and to hear some of the players talk about their stories and what they went through and sharing some laughs of every, everything that went on. And, you know, I remember writing our, in our special section after they won the Cup that year, you know, as a reporter, you're never part of the team, but you are part of the experience. And it's a different experience than what the players go through, but 
you're there with them every day. You're traveling cross country. You're you're doing a lot of the same stuff. Obviously, you're not playing 20 minutes of hockey a night. It's a different kind of gruel. But uh, to me, just like the players would tell you, it was probably the most fun I've had uh, doing what it is I do, and, and I've been doing it for a number of years now, to sort of follow that team and watch them grow up and 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 cover those personalities and 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 you know, watch the ups and downs and go through some of the emotions and the roller coasters that the players go through and the fan base goes through, you kind of experience some of those yourself. Um, you know, from the Game 6 loss in Philadelphia where it looked like it was done, they had to go back and play Game 7, they had a big lead in that game and blew it. You know, you, you, you sense that, you see it, you feel it, and it's, it's a different kind of experience, but it's definitely a very enjoyable and rewarding uh, thing in its own right from, from a writer, from a reporter's perspective. Well, let's, let's, let's put it this way, too. You're, you're seeing, not just because you're in the building watching the games live, because lots of people are doing that, right? There are 15,000, 20,000 people at all those games as well, everybody watching on TV. But you're still getting a different perspective because you know the players. There are, there are just things that you know that you can't even probably share sometimes or, or, or choose not to share about players, whether it's injuries, things they're going through, the ups and downs, that the, the everyday person, fan among us, we're just not seeing that. Like, we're seeing them on the ice. We hear a little bit of stuff in between games and lots of nowadays social media chatter, but we don't know. A lot of stuff, somebody in your shoes, you do know, and you do have access to coaches, GM, scouts, all that stuff. I think it's fascinating. Well, the, the funniest thing, well, I, not necessarily funny, but the number of ice packs that players get covered with after games during the postseason, I can't imagine the amount of ice in the bags and everything that those guys have to go through because it is, it's a beating. And, you know, that year in 2004, they won the first round in five games and they swept the second round. So they actually got a lot more time off. Uh, I, I think they went eight or nine days between the, the uh, semifinals and the Eastern Conference Finals um, that year. Uh, so it, it, here's a team that got its rest. And, and still the number of ice bags, and, and because that seven-game series against the Flyers was an absolute war. Uh, and then when they got to the finals against Calgary, you know, uh, Calgary admitted they were trying to get Tampa into a street fight. That's what they wanted because they knew they couldn't outskill the Lightning at that time. So they tried to just, you know, bloody them up as much as they could. Uh, so to see the ice packs and, and all the stuff that those players went through, and you hear so many stories about how much weight loss these guys go through, you know, to kind of see that develop, it's... It's 60 days. There's not a whole lot of time off, but boy, is it is it a lot of fun to be a part of. Well, I I remember um, it, it, the Leafs, for example, in 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 1993, which is sort of a, a seminal year in Leaf history, because they went they didn't get to the finals, but they played three seven game series to almost get to the finals before losing to Gretzky and the Kings in a in a heartbreaking seventh game. And you could just I mean you're basically playing every other night. Felix Potvin was in goal every other night and he'd be great some nights and struggle other nights but always bounce back but this is the kind of thing though that you see up close you're talking to these people you're not just seeing the ice packs but you know guys have the flu and they're dying out there yeah. and and fans it's easy for us to be critical not you but us as fans to be critical Eric you have some insight and experience that that you know you know things as you're watching that everybody else simply does not know about what individual players teams, coaches are going through just to try to reach the holy grail, and, and you can speak from experience, it's not easy. Winning once is tough. Winning a second time, it it rarely happens in this day and age. Well, and you wonder why teams have a hard time repeating back-to-back. -back. You know, I, 
even the year that, that Pittsburgh and Detroit faced off against each other in back-to-back years, I can't mm-hmm. imagine what those players were going through. That's a lot of hockey to play and not a whole lot of time in the summer to recover. You know, if you're playing to mid-June and training camps open in mid-September, that's that's really not a whole lot of time because of the training these guys do. So No, and that's a great point because I, I often think about teams like Detroit, New Jersey for years, um, I'm forgetting somebody, Colorado for many years was sort of in that mix, right, of elite teams who seem to be in the running virtually every year. And, yeah, those guys, I mean, you're playing almost another season of your life when you're playing, as you just said, two months of, of intent. And it's a – look, would you agree – Playoff hockey is just a different level than, Absolutely. I mean, it, there's preseason, early season, the you know, the sort of the middle, the, the never-ending middle of the season. Now we're in the stretch run where it gets fun, but the playoffs even is another a whole other level of, of grind and intensity. There is, there's no other team sport that's like it. You cannot compare it to anything. Baseball is not even close, as, as difficult of a sport as football is, as, as physically grueling as it is. You know, they're only playing, if, if you get to the Super Bowl, you're playing maybe 20, 20 games a year. Uh, and, and in the postseason, you might only play three. Um, so you cannot compare the NHL playoffs with any other pro sport. Uh, it, it's, it's not even close. The NBA goes through about the same length of time, uh, and they do play a lot more back-to-backs than the NHL does. but Just not as physical. Yeah. It, no, nowhere near. I agree with you. It, it just isn't as physical. You know, and I can relate in a small way, not the same as covering a Stanley Cup team as you did in 04, but when I was working uh, on, a, on a play-by-play broadcast crew with a, an Ontario Junior A team back in the early 80s, just traveling on the bus with the now young players, it's different. It's not the NHL, but boy, the intensity, they care, and, and the, the highs and the lows that you experience with those young guys, it, it, it left an indelible impression on me, you know, in terms of what it's like, what it must be like at the next level, because it was heartbreaking when these guys lost, because you saw just how much they put into it, and I'm sure it is the same, even though you're not so much friends with these guys, I know it's your job, you're a professional, uh, but there's got to be a, a respect there, I would think, in, in, in you seeing what these guys have to do to, to be successful at, at that level. Absolutely. Um, you know, you, you do get to know them on somewhat of a personal level, it's not you know, anywhere near a friendship level, but you, you, you do get to know them. You can hold a conversation with them. And, and to see what they put themselves through and the sacrifices, uh, especially when you get to the postseason and knowing some of the injuries that they play through, and some you don't even know about. You know, the, the teams do a very good job of not letting that stuff kind of get revealed. Uh, the one I remember is Dan Boyle in 2004. He played almost the entire postseason with a broken thumb, and you would never have known it. It's wow. unbelievable the pain. You think about it, you know, gripping just gripping your hockey stick with a broken thumb. And he did this for for two months, playing intense playoff hockey, playing 20, 22 minutes a night. Those kind of stories that you hear, and you don't even know about that until after the fact. And like like you know, that's when we figured out and, and knew that Boyle played through that injury. Is just absolutely incredible the level that they can take and the tolerance that they have for what it is they go through. Well, it's funny. I, I know that was a great Tampa team. Um, you know, even though I expressed frustration, I said, well, how the hell did a, a, a franchise in Tampa, where it's beautiful all the time, win a Stanley Cup, and they've only been in the league X number of years, and, you know, we can't even get to the finals. But that was, it was, a, a, you know, Tortorella, an intense coach, whether you love him or hate him, he's had success. He certainly helped that team. And I was just going to say, as an example, Vinny LeCavalier, you referenced LeCavalier, who now in, is now with the Flyers, of course, but he's had a wonderful career with, with you guys down in Tampa. 
all those years. And I have a, you know vivid memories, and I'm serious, of things that happened in the late 50s, early 60s. I remember that you know that far back, hockey and Leaf playoff hockey. But one, the one thing that, other than maybe Javi Bullen being so good, but but the one thing that stands out about that run, I remember one play, and and I couldn't tell you against which team in the playoffs because you the Tampa won four rounds, but there was one play where Le Cavalier took, a, I mean, a shot to the head. To, to, to the face, to the head, and I, I don't know if it was a dirty play or not, but it, to make a pass and make a play, and he and it set up a, directly to a goal, but he got absolutely leveled, hammered, and, and I think that's exactly the kind of thing Tortorella had always been pushing Le Cavalier to do, and when I saw that, I thought, okay, this guy has become a complete player, because that's the difference between the guys who make the fancy plays, the pretty plays, who are great skill guys, but when Le Cavalier did that in a playoff game, I thought this guy's willing to get his teeth knocked out to help his team maybe score a goal in the playoffs. I was so impressed, uh, and that's just a moment that stood out. And I just, I, as I said, I can't tell you what team, who the opponent was, but it's a vivid memory of of Le Cavalier. I, I know exactly what it was. It was Game Seven against Calgary in the finals. Uh, it was the second goal. He he spun and moved and and ducked and dodged about three guys with the puck on a stick. Uh, and right as he released it to get it to Ruslan Fedotenko, he got hammered and ended up being the second goal of the game and ended up being the game winner. So, you know, those those were the type of, of, of things that John Tortorella used to always like to try and point out is, is sacrificing, uh, doing the little things because you never know how important they're going to end up being. And you, you look at a play like that and just how important did it end up being because they end up winning the game 2-1. to one. Well, and, and I think in that case, you're right, Tortorella's right, uh, because those little moments, it's only when they turn into something like that that you realize just how much the effort was worth it. Maybe they wouldn't have scored, but the effort was still there, and I've always had great respect for Le Cavalier from that moment on. I always thought of him as a wonderful talent. When I saw that, I thought, okay, this guy is in a different league now, in my mind. And, and obviously helped them win that game, that moment, and, and the Stanley Cup. So it was huge. Let's fast forward, talk about now, because I'm sure a lot of people listening now are saying this is all great. Um, <laughs> I love it. I could talk about the old days and the really old days forever. But uh, first of all, Callahan, St. Louis. I, I want to ask about Ryan Callahan, the impact he has or hasn't had since joining the Lightning. Uh, first, though, somebody tell me, I mean you in this case, Eric, <laughs> why Martin St. Louis team captain, making all kinds of money, all plays all kinds of minutes, seemingly, you know, the leader, the mentor, the elder statesman on this team could, you know, would have his number retired in, in Tampa Bay. He basically insists on being traded. I mean, I, you know, maybe I'm naive. Am I missing something here? What was the, the need for him? It wasn't a terrible team. It wasn't it, like, why did he have to get traded? Does anyone know? He he just could not get over his general manager leaving him off of Team Canada. That's what it came down to. Um, in a lot of people's mind, a very selfish move. Um, he put himself and his feelings ahead of those of his team and his teammates because, as you said, this is not a team that's 10 points out of the playoffs. No, they're this right there. Team, yeah, at, and, at, at the, and at the time, even in January when this happened, and, and he was obviously very upset at that time and just has not been able to let go. And, I mean, let's face it. Marty St. Louis is a guy who has played with a chip on his shoulder his entire career. It's what's driven him to be the player that he is. Absolutely. And, and I think that here is what led to his end here, is that he just couldn't get over the fact that 
his general manager left him off of Team Canada, even though Team Canada was not a one-man decision. It was a committee decision, and and uh, he just could not get over it. And for him to, to bail on his team in the middle of a playoff chase has tainted a lot of, in, his, in a lot of people's minds, especially a lot of fans' minds, has tainted his image of what he was in Tampa, which it's very hard to do because of what he has meant to that franchise since he arrived in 2000. Uh, and, and as people have watched him go from an undrafted, unwanted, undersized player to a league MVP, a two-time Stanley Cup or a two-time scoring champion, a Stanley Cup champion, everything that he's done, he could have written his ticket for anything he wanted to do in Tampa. I'm not so sure he can do that now. Well, and and that's well said, and and you're probably even you know holding back some of your comments a little bit. But let me just say, I mean, again, I have great admiration for the guy. Wonderful talent. Everything you've said, chip on his shoulder, played beyond his size and people's expectations for years. I, it just, it's one thing if you feel disrespected, in you know, like he was an, like an old guy being phased out, yep. not getting minutes anymore. I, I, I could kind of get that, but when you're making, you know, top salary on the team or thereabouts, and you are the captain and the leader. And it has nothing to do with the team. It has to do with some other super team. It's like the World Cup of Soccer. Not everybody can make the national team. Yeah. And Canada happens to be, as we well know, loaded. And the fact that he wasn't on, you know, was just on the cusp. Or I mean, like, it, you know, anyway, I just find it, I find it odd. It's, it's, I'd like these players, and I'm not talking about St. Louis now, but I'd like players when you say, I should be on the team, please name the guy that you sh you should be kicking off the team. That's what I'd like to hear because it's, it's you know, like, like anyway, I won't go on. But I just, I find it odd and unfortunate because guys who've built their whole career in this whole classy whatever thing, you just, I can't picture Jean Beliveau doing this, you know, telling the Montreal Canadiens, well, I didn't get picked for something, so I, I insist on, you know, 18 years into my time here. On leaving. Anyway, it's a shame. So tell me about Ryan Callahan. Uh, I mean, talk at a guy. He, I just saw James Dolan, the president of the Rangers, owner, president. I don't know, saying the guy just wanted too much money. So Tampa will probably run into the same thing. But what's he on the ice? Setting aside the contract demand, on the ice, is he delivered what people were expecting so far? Maybe a little bit more. Really? Um, only because uh, he's been on a line with Valtteri Filippola and Andre Pilat, and they've found some pretty good instant chemistry. So he's picked up some points here that, you know, you're never going to replace Marty's offensive production. So no, no, I no. think, you know, when you try and compare those two, I don't think people thought he was going to come in and, and be an offensive guy that was going to pile up a lot of points, especially since he struggled, you know, production-wise this year with the Rangers. Um, but he's picked up points. I think he has points in four of the six games since he arrived, uh, including a goal. Uh, but I think where people are seeing him is his and the perfect example is the lightning score power play goal against Vancouver the other night he makes a diving play down in the corner to keep the puck alive gathers it out uh, outmaneuvers somebody in the corner and is able to get the puck to Andre Palat who sends it over to Steven Stamkos for a quick one-timer that kind of hustle and that kind of effort uh, we knew he was a hard-working guy but when you see it live you see it the way it happened you see the way the bench Response to it, the way the coaching staff uh, looks at it and sees it. I think he's had already a bigger impact than maybe I thought a lot of people thought he may have 
even though it's only been six games. Well, it's funny because I mean his thing was not none of us expect him to come and score. He's not going to score 50 goals for for Tampa, but I mean he's all about character. I mean he's a captain. He's been this way what in university right in college hockey in the states. I mean isn't this his whole thing? Is is intensity, character, commitment. Uh, and you know the Rangers didn't want to pay him what is it seven million a year for seven years or whatever I don't know and I can understand that right something character is worth a lot <laughs> you know typically the guys that get that kind of money are scoring 40 50 goals a year or they're the best defenseman in the world or whatever so but but you know I'm glad because I I've always I've liked everything I've heard about this guy uh, except I wondered why he was seeking quite that much money you know from the Rangers but you just described you know Leafs would love a guy like that. And I'm sure any team would love who, – who wouldn't want a Ryan Callahan on their team, right? Yeah. You know, he, he's got the kind of game and the kind of grit that doesn't show up on a score sheet a lot. Yeah. Um, he'll pick up the hits. Uh, he'll pick up the block shots, but he doesn't show up in the assists and goal column a whole lot. I know he had – I think he had 29 goals a couple of years ago. So he's got offensive capability. Uh, but it's just the hustle that coaches love, and they can use guys like that as an example for other guys to follow. Look how hard this guy's working. Look at what his hustle did and how it led to a goal. Yeah. They can always use that stuff as examples. Um, I, I too, I might be a little worried about paying somebody uh, as much as he is seeking. And, you know, he was in New York. He was the captain. Obviously, they valued him a lot. Apparently, they didn't value him as much as the player and the agent maybe thought they did. Yes. Um, but let's face it, the free agent market being what it is, is, is so many teams lock up guys to these long-term contracts now before they even hit unrestricted free agency. You know, if, if he makes it, if he does not resign with Tampa before free agency hits, somebody out there will offer him that kind of money and, and, and take their chances. Because he brings all those, and it's not all intangibles. I mean, some of the leadership things on ice intensity, they're quite tangible. Yeah, you, you just described, you, you see them every night. Um, tell me a little bit about, well, uh, Philippo, we talked about Philippo before when you were on the program a, a few months back. Um He's pretty impressive young talent, right? Yeah. And he's yeah. still looking is he consistent or but he's he's pretty impressive, right? Well, he had the uh he suffered an ankle injury uh actually the last time uh, the Leafs were in Tampa. Uh he had a uh, a non-displaced fracture in his ankle. So he missed some time. Sure. A lot of that was during the Olympics, so he didn't miss as many games uh because of that. Uh but he did miss the first two or three coming out of the Olympic break. Uh, he even admitted it wasn't at full strength by the time he came back on. So that's some of that consistency has dropped off a little bit. But he's one of those guys that he was overshadowed in Detroit behind Zetterberg and Datsuk and Nicholas Lidstrom and all the talent that they've had with the Wings over uh, the last number of years since he came into the league. Um, but to watch him every day, to watch him with the puck, to watch him – able to calm down a game when, when the other team starts to turn some momentum, just, just on his ability to control the puck, uh, very underrated. Um, he's really been a go-to guy that they can count on. He took over the number one center position basically when Steven Stamkos went down with the injury, flourished under it, picked up points. He's one off of his career high in goals. Uh, he's picked up, I think, six assists in the last four games. Uh, so you see his game starting to come back to where it was uh, maybe you know in January when he was at the peak of his game. So uh, a lot of people thought he was overpaid on the free agent market too when Tampa signed him to that five million dollar contract. But uh, in the early going, he has shown that he is uh, he's broken free of the shadow that he was under in Detroit and is really his game has really blossomed with Tampa. Well, I was just going to say when you talk about stepping up to the first line and actually not being out of place, sometimes guys 
find that a very difficult transition, even for a short period of time. You're a third-line guy, forced to, you know, the second slot, second to first, and whatever your position is. Some guys can handle that, but not everybody can. The fact that he can probably is is a good sign for the for the long term. Tell me about Bishop and Goal. I don't see him a lot because I don't see a lot of of Lightning games. By all accounts, though, um, I mean a the the, the the trade was a steal, uh, in the sense that you know Conacher was a useful player, but right he I mean he he's not with Ottawa anymore. I think he's in Buffalo now, um, and Bishop really has. Um, seemingly been consistent, if not standing on his head, you tell me, but he's got to be one of the reasons why Tampa's in a playoff position right now. He's a big reason why. Um, not only is he a likely Vezina finalist and probably the Vezina winner at this point, uh, you can make an argument that he should be in the MVP conversation. He's been that important to them because when you look at his numbers compared to Andres Lindback, uh, they're night and day and, and for, for Ben to be in the top three in goals against, to be in the top three in save percentage, and he set a franchise record, and he has got 32 wins now, um, shows you what he has meant to this team. Now, saying that, we're in uncharted waters with him. He, I think tonight will be his uh, 54th game that he will start this year. Never no, done that before, yeah. Never been past 51. So we are in uncharted waters with him. So they're going to keep a close eye on him. It looked like in a few games after coming out of the Olympic break that he wasn't as mentally fresh and as mentally sharp. He let in some goals that you're looking at going, how in the world did that get by him? He's been so good all year. Um, but he rounded it back out. He shut out the jersey the other night. Um, he had Vancouver off the board through two periods uh, as they built a 3 nothing lead against the Canucks. So it looks like he's starting to come back around a little bit, but they're going to keep a close eye on him to see how he does mentally. Uh, and physically. He says he's fine. He says his body feels fine. Uh, but you know how players are. They're never going to tell us the truth if they're not feeling well anyway. Of course. Uh, but they'll keep a close eye on that here as we get, uh, I think there's 15 games left in the season counting tonight. Yeah, that was a huge deal. I mean, that's the kind of deal that wins you Executive of the Year award. I mean, it's it's because it. where do you find a young goalie who literally becomes uh, – you know, potentially a first team, and you know, as you say, MVP, first team All Star. And I don't mean mid season All Star, but I mean end of year All Star. He's yep. been clearly that good. Mike Koska, who played uh, with the Leafs, a bit of a whipping boy here. Mike, very nice, very nice, uh, well liked guy. Started like a house of fire with with uh, with the Leafs last season, and then you know faced a lot of scrutiny and and I think stopped playing his game. How has he been in the time since he's uh, joined the Lightning? He's been okay. Uh, you know, he's an offensive-minded guy, uh, so he's he's getting some power play time. Um, but he's been a pretty consistent guy. He's getting around 15 minutes a night. He's got a couple of goals. Um, but there's a lot of fam familiarity there too, right? He was with John Cooper in Norfolk the year that they won a Calder Cup. They went all the way, that's right. 2012. So there's a lot of familiarity there. So when he was put on waivers by Chicago, you know, t John Cooper and Steve Eisenman, they did not hesitate to, to put a claim in on him and bring him in. And, and though the system that John ran in Norfolk is a little bit different at the NHL level than it was, uh, it's been pretty easy for Mike to pick up on because there's a lot of uh, similarities between the two. Uh, you know, I was just going to say, Eric, that it, it makes sense, though, too, because that means there's a trust factor. The fact that Cooper went after Koska, you know, even to see in a, not limited, but in a bit of a role, third-line defense pair or whatever, with some offense, with some power play time, it means it's a two-way street. Koska probably trusts the coach, and it's a little bit easier, I think, for the player to perform when you know the coach has confidence in you. 
I think it makes a huge difference. And he's got a number of players that he played with in Norfolk that are with the Lightning. Tyler Johnson, Andre Pilat, Richard Ponick, Mark Barbario. You know, a lot of guys that were on that Norfolk team. So there's, you know, to get claimed on waivers, you never know what's going to happen. So for him to be able to come into a situation where he knows the coach, he knows a handful of the players already in the room, I think has helped with that transition a little bit. And that's why he's having some success here in the early going with them. Well, and if, you've, and if you had a good relationship, what I know that can mean a lot of different things, but if you did have a good relationship with your players at the minor league level, then yeah, that I believe that can translate. There's no reason why it can't translate it at this level as well. Um, the one thing I will add for I'll ask you a couple of things leaf related and then let you go. Uh, special teams, the numbers are not that strong for the lightning at this point in the season. I think I saw today unless I'm I saw the stats incorrectly. Uh, penalty kill, 25th in the league. That's not great, obviously. Kind of middle of the pack on the power play. Uh, will the power play improve, obviously, with Stamkos back? Is that one of the answers? Well, it certainly can't hurt, that's for sure. <laughs> um, just just Steven's presence on the power play makes him a better power play. Um, you know, I, if, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, both his goals so far have come on the power play since he's come back. So that's certainly shown some improvement. Uh, but just having him out there, teams have to focus on him, right? You can't let him sit over there in that circle and, and let him fire off that one-timer. Teams have to cover him. So he draws a lot more attention than, you know, the power play with him not on it. Um, so that's going to improve just by his presence there, and it has shown. And Ryan Callahan's getting some good uh, first power play time now, too. He's got that great net presence and stuff. So that's going to help. As far as our penalty killing, it's been very streaky. It's it's been really kind of weird to watch. We know special teams can be streaky anyway. Yes. But they had a stretch of about ten games early in the year where they allowed one power play goal, and then they have a stretch of fifteen games where they allow multiple power play goals. I don't know six or seven times, and then they go through a stretch where you know the penalty kill is back on track and you know killing off twenty three of twenty four, and and that's kind of where they're at right now. They had a, a stretch where they were giving up two power play goals a game almost for about a, a six game stretch. But in the last, uh, I think coming out of the last uh, seven or eight, it's been, I think, 23 out of 25 they've killed off. So just a very streaky thing, weird to watch. Uh, it, 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 and I think you're right that special teams, because uh, I assume the personnel has been pretty much the same that they've used through much of the year on the, on the penalty kill? For the most part, yeah. Uh, you know, so the the same guys, is, same system, and, and some nights you just don't get the results. Yeah, and a lot of the difference now, too, is Marty St. Louis was killing penalties. He comes out, he bring in a much better penalty killer in Ryan Callahan, um, who's done it his entire career and done it well. So yes. that changes that personnel a little bit. Uh, but for the most part, it's been, you know, Valtteri Philpil has killed penalties, Tyler Johnson, Andre Pilat have killed penalties. Um, you know, and actually, they've actually been a threat shorthanded. I think they're second or third in the league in shorthanded goals. I think they have 11 of them now. Interesting. Final thing on Stamkos. Uh, did he wait long enough to come back? I think they were really smart not to, not that you should ever push your any player, but not to push him back before the Olympics. Has he still, even with that delay, given himself enough time? Do you think he's 100% or still not there yet? He's not 100%. In, just in terms of the strength and like the bone, there's no problem with the bone. The bone is healed uh, as much as it's going to at this point. Um, it's for him. It's getting back the strength in the leg and being able to handle the wear and tear and, and the tight turns and the starts and stops that take place during uh, the course of the game. Um, that's going to take time. And he even said this morning, it's probably going to take another summer of 
training and working out to recover fully and get that leg and those muscles and those tendons and everything else in there back up to, you know, where he wants it to be. Um, it, it's shown in his game. Like, he's shown bursts of speed, but not the overpowering speed that he had early in the year. Uh, he even admitted to it's still in his head a little bit, uh, where yeah. back in October, he's already thinking a play ahead of where he's going. Now he has to kind of make sure he's ready for that contact. So there's, there's those little things, those little nuances that you don't see a whole lot uh, that, are, that will show up in his game and, and until he's able to finally completely uh, clear that mental hurdle before he'll be back to, you know, a one, a, exactly 100%. Well, I, to me, that's an excellent point because it, it, the mental side of it, you just described with a lot of guys after ACLs, any kind of serious injury, right, a concussion. The fact that as an athlete in, in games that are that you have to think instantly, react physically, mentally, instantly, that you even have an a mini-second, millisecond delay from what you would normally do means that you're not the same player, right? You, you just can't, you, you cannot be, and it's totally understandable, of course. Uh, I think it's amazing these guys come back, and, and what, what, what Stamkos has done is amazing, but I think you're right. It'll be next season before he probably has the, the physical and mental peace of mind that he's back to being himself, and, and he's a superlative player. He's such a wonderful talent. And, and he's even said it. it. It is, you know, you're talking about thinking ahead to the next play. He he said it. It's, it's a half second, maybe a second, but in 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 their yeah. world, that's a huge amount of time. Yeah, you know? one second and in the NHL so or or the NFL is is one second too slow yep. a lot of the time. Absolutely. Okay, let's wrap it up this way, Eric. Uh, what's what do you think? And Lee fans would like to hear this. What do you think the scouting report is right now? Or have you heard anything that the Lightning would be hearing? What are their scouts telling their players about the Leafs? You know, how do they exploit, you know, Jonathan Bernier? Well, I don't know who's playing in goal tonight. I don't know if Bernier's back or if it'll be Reimer or McIntyre up from the Marlies. Um, but how do they exploit the Leaf defense, which we give up a lot of shots? What do you think the scouting report is? Well, first of all, Jonathan Bernier did skate this morning, his first time on skates. Uh, he's not playing tonight. He, he didn't do everything. He, he kind of dropped down in the butterfly a few times. So that's, that's so kind of what still getting back. Yeah, he's not ready ready. Yeah. Yeah, and, and McIntyre was the only other goalie on the ice. So Randy Carlisle didn't speak this morning, so strong speculation that Reimer will get back in there. And, frankly, you have to go back to Reimer. You can't put Drew McIntyre in his first career game in a very important game. You, you can't do that. you got to go back to the guy who's been there and done that. So um, as far as trying to attack the Leafs, you know, it's, I think it's sort of the same as it was uh, back when we talked back in February. Go after their defense, put pressure on the defense. Um, we know the Leafs give up a lot of shots. Make sure you're getting your shots. Make sure you're getting your opportunities. Um, and, and the big thing that Tampa always concentrates on, and, and teams are not really different, is net presence. Get somebody in front of the net, be a screen, be there for a rebound, get a tip, do something. That's the biggest thing that Tampa wants to do, and that's not necessarily just going against the Leafs. They want to do that against every team. And the big thing is, is don't turn over the puck, especially when you're up against the the Kessel Van Riemsdyk line. You do that, they're going to make you pay for it. Just as we saw in the meeting up here uh, back in January, when Raiko Gudas turned over the puck inside the defensive zone, bang bang, they put it in the back, and that ended up being the game-winning goal. So it's attack the defense, be in that presence, uh, possess the puck and don't turn it over in key areas in the ice. And so they're well aware. I mean, I don't think there's anybody in the NHL that is not aware of 
that Van Riemsdyk and and Kessel with Bozak in the middle they've been a you know a little quieter the last few games uh, but all all players and and lines go through that I think I'm sure the Lightning are well aware of, of what they can do very quickly uh, to generate some offense. Yeah, because we, we, we've seen it up close. I mean, a couple of turnovers in that game here, and it was in the back of the net. And that was a game, too, that Nazem Kadri had a good game. He had that mace, yeah. had that nice move in front of that around Victor Hedman. And, you know, so it's not, you don't, obviously you want, you worry about that top line because they've been so good. They've got such good speed and good skill. You've got to be careful of that line. But you can't overlook, you know, Kadri's line either. He can turn it up, as, as Tampa saw back in January. So concentrate on that top line. Don't sleep on the second line. Yeah, well said. Last question. Uh, Leafs have been playing seven defensemen a lot the last few weeks, going back before the Olympic break. Paul Ranger getting in as sort of the – well, he's not necessarily the, the seventh guy, but he back in the rotation. Have the Lightning been playing seven at times, or do you normally – or do, do, does uh, uh, Cooper normally go stick with six? He actually really likes going seven and 11. Uh, he's done it a good part of the year. Um Especially after Steven Stamkos went down, they were missing some depth in the middle. Uh, he would dress 11, and then he would rotate um, an extra forward onto that fourth line, whether it was St. Louis, whether it was Philip Lowe, Tyler Johnson, whatever. Uh, and that he's actually, if you look at their record with 7D, it's it's a lot better than it is with 60. Um, now, having said that, it's been uh, 12 and 6 the last few games as as they've been a little bit more healthy up front. Uh, but John Cooper's preference, he really enjoys the 7-11 because they've actually had a couple of games this year, too, where one of their defensemen went down. They were they lost him for the game, so then you're okay. You still have 6-D to kind of rotate. Uh, and the way he likes to play, it hasn't been the case this year, but he, you know, he likes to play a physical style that often leads to a defenseman being in the box, sometimes five minutes for fighting. You're still able to use a 6 rotation. So it is something that he really likes to do. He does it with frequency. Uh, he hasn't done it as much in the past few games, but he, he likes the way it works. He likes the way it makes teams guessing, too, because you don't know who's going to rotate into that fourth line, and that gives some of your top offensive players uh, maybe an extra opportunity to get away from the top D pairing. Excellent. Listen, Eric, that was superb as always. Uh, we appreciate your insight and perspective heading in, not just to the game tonight, uh, but you know, getting some some you know an overview of the Lightning because there's they're a young team. They've got experience, but they've got some you know wonderful young talent too. Uh, and with a, a goalie like like Bishop in net, that that has to bode well at least for the short term future, I would think. So I want to thank you uh, for joining us. It it uh, it was tremendous to have you on the program again today. Hey, my pleasure. It's a lot of fun. I enjoyed this. And enjoy the game tonight. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks, Eric. That it was Eric Erlinson long-time beat writer for the Tampa Bay Tribune. He's been with, with the Trib since the late 90s, 97, I think, but covering the uh, the Lightning since 2001 and was there, as we talked at the outset today, was there for the Stanley Cup run in the spring of 2004. For Leaf fans, well, I don't have Michael to, to bat around some thoughts with or, or Declan today, but I'll just say that it, it, tonight is not just, you know, it, it's a it's not a singularly important game, but it's a it's a big game. And I think that that uh, the Lightning are going to take this one just as seriously as the Leafs because they're that close in the standings. Montreal is right there. So this is a, a huge game for Toronto. But I will say this. It's going to be interesting to see how they come back after a five-game road trip and a quick turnaround, a back-to-back -back after playing in Detroit on Tuesday night. They're right back at it at the ACC tonight. So listen, we want to thank everybody for tuning in to Episode 25 of the Maple Leaf Hangout. Our Thanks again to Eric Erlinson, great guest today from the Tampa Bay Tribune. 
we will be back probably within the next few days. I was talking to Declan, uh, Karen, of course, who, who along with Alec Brownscombe from the Maple Leaf Hot Stove site, a fantastic site who pull this together every time we do a show. Uh, they're always behind the scenes making sure we, we get on the air. Uh, we're going to try to do as many shows as we can between now and the playoffs and of course hopefully what will be a long and, uh, and um, fun playoff run for the Maple Leafs in the next few weeks. Anyway, thanks to everyone for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on the Maple Leaf Hangout. Take care everybody.